Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. If you're new to this whole world of baby led weaning and starting solid foods, you might still be on the fence as to whether this approach is going to work for you. And if that's the case, I want to send you my free feeding guide called Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby? This is a guide that contains a decision tree map that you can work your way through to determine if this is the right approach for you guys and then when it's time to start. Grab your copy of Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby on my website at babyledweaning.co slash resources. There are so many foods that can be frozen that people don't realize. Loaves of bread, if you slice them up, pasta sauce, milk can be frozen, cheese can be frozen, sometimes it's best to shred it. Anything can be frozen, the question is, will the texture be the same? Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. Do you guys ever go to the grocery store filled with like good intentions of, oh, I'm going to cook really fresh, wholesome meals every day this week, and then you buy a bunch of produce and other fresh food only to find it rotting away in your fridge a little bit later? Well, my guest today wants to help make sure that this does not happen to you. Her name is Dana Gunders, and she is the executive director of ReFed, the only organization in the United States dedicated solely to reducing food waste. Dana is a mom of two. She did baby led weaning with her two babies. She's going to talk a little bit about that. She's also going to blow your mind with some stats about how much food is wasted in the U.S. She said something to the tune of like a third of all food goes to waste. I couldn't believe it. And while we both agree that talking about sustainable food production is very important and and actually implementing sustainable food production practices is. We've covered it a ton on the podcast. Dana makes a really good point that like all the sustainable practices in the world for food production fall short if we're then throwing away a third of all the produced food. So while we could sit around and lament food waste, what I really like about Dana and her work is that she provides actionable steps that we each can take to lower food waste in our own home kitchens. So from things like treating your freezer as a temporary food storage machine to really learning how to understand what the dates on your foods mean she took issue with my statement. I'm all, I've been a big like when in doubt, throw it out. And she gave me like five reasons why I should not think like that. So I appreciate that. Um, she's got great ideas on how to incorporate borderline produce into delicious meals. Dana has some wonderful ideas. I learned so much in this interview. She's also the author of the Waste Free Kitchen Handbook and she's sharing some great resources. So if you would like to start working towards reducing food waste in your own household, because I know you guys are taking a lot of time to make all these foods for your baby and food prep and you don't want them to go to waste, Dana has some great ideas. So with no further ado, here's Dana Gunders talking about some waste-free kitchen tips. It's great to be here, Katie. Thank you. I am so excited to learn about some waste-free kitchen tips. But before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to specialize in such a unique area? Oh my goodness. About 10 years ago or more now, I was working on a project with sustainable agriculture and I was put in charge of looking at, at waste. And I just started stumbling on these numbers of how much food was going to waste. And I just felt like, wow, 
no matter how sustainably we grow our food, if we're not actually using it, it's a terrible use of our resources and just such a waste overall, especially when you consider all the people who still don't have enough food going to their tables. So that really lit my fire. And I, I wound up publishing a report that that sparked a lot of dialogue on the issue. And I've been working on it ever since. As ReFed's executive director, what does your typical day-to-day entail? Like, do you guys work primarily with business or individuals? And if you don't mind sharing, what's the mission of your agency? Yes, we are the only organization in the U.S. that is entirely dedicated to reducing the amount of food that goes to waste across the country. And we work with so many different organizations in trying to do that. We work with uh, food companies, with local governments, with federal policymakers, um, with investors, with foundations, and with a lot of the groups on the ground. There are so many smaller organizations that work on this in some way in their communities. So we try to act as kind of a national galvanizing organization, providing data, um, sometimes giving out grants, and also just bringing people together on the issue. So I know when we were chatting before the interview, Dana, you mentioned that you also did baby led weaning with your two children who are five and seven now. Since our audience consists primarily of parents and caregivers and guardians who are uh, watching out for babies six to 12 months, they're starting solid foods. Can you take us back to the time when you were doing baby led weaning with your babies and any takeaway thoughts or messages or advice you can share about that experience? Sure. I mean, it's kind of a blur, to be honest, as those years become to be, but Yes, I loved baby led weaning. You know, my sister did the thing where you puree food and you put it in an ice cube tray um, and then you kind of melt an ice cube, you know, you cool an ice cube down, you feed that to your baby. But I realized when I came across baby led weaning and this idea of just sort of allowing them to hold their food and that A, it was way easier than all that puree and freezing and defrost. And it just really worked for us. So yeah, I remember doing it with carrots and squash and avocado and sweet potato and all the things, um, especially, you know, with our first kid, I, I will admit that I'm our second child. The first thing he put in his mouth was pizza, a pizza crust. <laughs> and he second lived kid. to tell about it, right? Yeah. Like it's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's survival at that point. But no, we, we did wind up doing it with both kids and it worked really well. That's really interesting because a lot of our audience kind of finds baby led weaning oftentimes as a second time or subsequent parent. Like they did traditional spoon feeding, maybe like much like your sister, as you explained, and then they might've struggled with that or the child didn't like being spoon fed. And they think, you know, second time around that first child is now possibly a picky eater toddler. And they're like, listen, this is too much. I can't short order cook. I want to look for an alternative. And that's when they find baby led weaning. Um, So a lot of times it's not the first time parents. That's really interesting that you fell into baby led weaning with your first baby, which is great. Um, Do you guys follow any special diets in your family? Like what sort of eaters are your kids? Is eating family meals important to you guys? Anything about your family food philosophy you can share? Yes, we absolutely practice family dinner. I mean, not every night, but, you know, a handful of nights a week. It's become a really beloved thing. You know, sometimes when we've gone on vacations or gotten out of a rhythm for whatever reason, and then we sit down and have our family dinner, my kids will my kids will be like, I missed this. We haven't done this in so long. And so I know it's a time they really look forward to. And we actually use it to talk about the day. So we do something we call Rosebud Thorn, where you tell us about your rose is the thing you really liked about your day and your thorn is something you didn't like and your bud is something you're looking forward to. So we we do that. My kids are really good eaters. They are not picky. They love to try new things. I'm not sure exactly how we achieved that, but it is one of the things that's actually pretty easy about them. Not everything's easy about them, but they're eating um, 
they're relatively flexible and quite adventurous. I love your rose, thorns, buds, dinner conversation starter. We do high, low, buffalo, something good, something bad, something random about your day. And it is like so much fun. We do after trips when we started doing, (laughs) they started doing it about my meal, like what the food they like, what food they didn't like. And then something super random about the food I made them. But anyway, I love this idea of just sharing good family meals. And that's one of the benefits of baby led weaning, of course, is that baby can join the family at the table right from their first bite. So you are the author of the Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook. I'd love to learn more about your experience writing this resource. Why did you decide to undertake this project and who is it ultimately for? Sure. Well, I have been working on the whole issue of food waste for over a decade. And what became clear very early on is that the biggest source of food waste in our country is us. 338 million of us in our households just, you know, doing our best, but winding up cleaning out the fridge and every so often and and scraping plates. So um, I realized that we really needed a toolkit for consumers because nobody wakes up wanting to waste food, right? You're just kind of stuck in your kitchen with a wrinkly tomato, um, not knowing exactly what to do with it or if you can eat it. And that giving people really specific information to help them uh, manage their food better would be an important tool in this bigger mission to help waste less food. So that's what really led to writing the the Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook. It's part strategy. So the first part is all strategies. The second part is recipes that are either, you know, ways to use things up or they use something that typically isn't used uh, in them, kind of unique recipes. And then the third part, which is my favorite, is actually a directory. And it's, you can look up over 85 different foods and see, you know, can you eat it if, if it has black spots on it? Can you eat the stem? What do you do? Can you freeze it? How do you freeze it? And, and just ways to manage that particular food item, because it's nice to sort of generally think about wasting less food, but really having the knowledge to deal with specific foods is what makes the difference. And who is the target audience for the Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook? I think it's everyone, frankly, anyone who cooks. I have heard from some people who are very skilled in the kitchen that they knew a lot of it and that there wasn't a lot of new information. So if you are somebody who is like really good about planning your meals and you're a great cook and you, you know, have a lot of food and kitchen knowledge. Maybe it's not for you, but I, I really geared it towards like the average person who's just kind of trying to get dinner on the table and, you know, eat well. Oh, that's our people. We got a lot of like hot best mamas. (laughs) Like I have very good intentions, but also my children eat pizza crust too. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) totally. Yeah. So I would say, you know, I use it still to this day. I have one and it's meant to be a reference book. And every time mushrooms, like for whatever reason, I cannot store in my brain how you are supposed to store mushrooms. And so every time I get mushrooms, I am looking up, what does my book say about mushrooms? (laughs) I feel like all those things are like cool, dry, dark places. I'm like, where is that? Like my grandma had a basement and a lot of foods like that in there, but like, I live in San Diego. What what does that mean? (laughs) I know. I used to think there should be an appliance for like a root cellar, a root cellar, like appliance. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Hopefully one of your listeners will do So the title waste-free kitchen, does that mean exactly like zero waste? And I know like to me personally, but maybe some of our listeners too, that might sound like a little overwhelming. Before we get into the strategies, could you just share some of the benefits of even cutting back a little bit on waste and why we should all be moving in that direction? Yeah, sure. And I'll start by saying it is a journey. It is not, this is not about perfection. We are not purists because anything you do to waste less food actually helps. So the problem is that 
about a third of the food in this country goes to waste, never gets eaten. It winds up being about $400 billion worth of food for the average household of four people. It's probably about somewhere between $1,500 to $2,000 worth of food that you're actually buying and not eating. It has huge implications from a resource perspective. So everything it takes to grow, cool, store, cook food goes into growing that food. In fact, if all of our uneaten food were grown in one place, it would be a farm about the size of New Mexico. It would use as much water as Texas and Ohio combined. And then all that food would get put into trucks, um, one semi truck every 20 seconds. And they would drive all around the country, except instead of going to a place where they could be used, they would go straight to landfills where the food would rot and produce methane, a powerful greenhouse gas when it got there. So it really is an enormous waste of resources as well. And we eat, you know, wasting less food is one of the easiest and most effective things you can do in your home to impact your climate footprint um, and your resource footprint, as well as your pocketbook. So our audience consists primarily of parents, babies, six to 12 months, just making that transition to solid food. A lot of our listeners are really new to cooking. And so I'm curious, what tips or strategies on moving towards waste reduction can we all easily implement in our homes? Sure. Well, the number one easiest thing you can do is use your freezer more. Freezers are like this magic pause button on our food. And so, and especially as a new parent and, you know, the the craziness of that time of life, just the best laid plans don't always happen, right? And so I think leaning on leftovers in general is useful as a parent who just doesn't have a lot of time and has a lot going on. But oftentimes you get sick of those leftovers being able to pop them in the freezer just for a week, right? It, your freezer can be short-term storage. It doesn't have to be long-term storage for three months where everything gets freezer burned. It actually is really useful as a short-term storage tool. So that's my number one um, advice to you. I think number two is to learn what the dates on food really mean. So a lot of people think that those best buy, use by, enjoy by, sell by dates are telling them to throw the food out. And that is not the case at all. So those dates you see on food are typically not about safety. They are not federally regulated, and they are really just indicators of how fresh the food is or when it's at its top quality. So the way a company might come to those dates is they might have a a focus group of 10 people in a room, and they'll serve them yogurt that's one day, three days, five days, 10 days old. And for each time, they'll have you rate it a number. And when the group number falls below seven, that's the time frame of the food. It's really about quality and the consumer experience. It is not about safety. And so, and yet many of us believe that those dates are telling us to throw the food out. So if we can be more comfortable with our senses and eating food beyond those dates, as long as it looks fine, smells fine, tastes fine, we can actually save a lot of food in our homes. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, 
but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. Dana, people ask me all the time as a baby-led weaning dietitian, Katie, what do you think about the saying food before one is just for fun? And I'm always like, I have thoughts, like good and bad. Like the saying that comes to mind for your realm of expertise is what I always find myself saying, and now I'm questioning myself, when in doubt, throw it out. What do you think about that statement? I understand why people follow that phrase, but I just think it's really unfortunate that we are so scared of our food. And we don't need to be, right? We have the safest food supply in the world. (laughs) We have the safest food supply in the world. And also, I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding here because when people hear about foodborne illness, that is pathogens that are on the food, regardless of how old it is. So that's E. coli, salmonella, listeria. Those are either on your food or they're not. The industry works very hard to not have them on the food. But regardless of the date on your food, if those are on your food, they're going to get you sick, right? The bacteria and enzymes that decay food are totally different. And those do not give you foodborne illness. And our bodies are very well equipped to recognize when those have kind of gotten food past past its edible state. And that's why if food looks fine, smells fine, tastes fine, it typically is is okay to eat. I, and I feel like I use part of that statement, when in doubt, throw it out, about smell. If I was already questioning it, by the way, I have seven kids. So like I literally waste no food and I'm not bragging here. It's just like, I hate going to the grocery store and they eat everything and I try to use everything. But if it smells off and I'm like, oh, I don't really know how old this is. In that case, just from a food safety standpoint, I would throw it out. Is that an okay application of that statement? Oh, yeah. I mean, if it smells bad, don't eat it. So as for the strategies, number one, freeze more. Yes, lean on leftovers, but if you get tired of them, it's great to use your freezer. As you said, it's like a magic pause button for your food. And I love that because we teach our in our programs, we're always teaching about different ways to meal prep for baby led weaning and freeze the foods. And a lot of parents are like, dude, I never use my freezer this much, but I love it because then the food is magically there when I'm ready to feed the baby. I also love the tip to learn what the dates mean, that it's not necessarily about safety and that many times past the dates that you're seeing that food is perfectly safe to consume. Any other tips for reducing foods in the home that you think are pretty easily actionable for probably the newer cooks out there? Yeah. Well, one is just to be careful when you're in the grocery store. We're often very aspirational when we are shopping. We are going to cook well, we're going to eat well. And and then reality happens. And certainly as a new parent, reality, you know, can throw you in all sorts of different directions. Oh, wait, new parents buying things they don't need? No way. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I mean, the very organized way to do this is to plan your meals and have a shopping list. And that's been shown to save money and really reduce um, kind of unnecessary purchases and make it faster, which if you are running around the grocery store with a baby in your cart, um, fast is key. So actually having a shopping list can conserve a lot of purposes. And one of those is to help you waste less. 
if that doesn't work for you and the way you operate, I think at least a quick check into your grocery cart to just go, okay, when this week am I going to use this food? Am I really going to use this food this week? Or is it December 20th and I have four parties I'm going to and I'm not going to. So I think just a reality check for your grocery cart helps. The other tip is having some night where you just use everything up. And oftentimes there's a dish that people like to do. Like some people call it stir Fridays, right? And they just take whatever's in their fridge and they stir fry it. And that's their stir Friday night. Oh, mine's just called leftover soup, but I'm going to start calling it stir Fridays. I love this. Waste last Wednesday is also popular fridge night. But whatever it is, I think there are all sorts of recipes that lend themselves to using whatever up. Soup is one, frittata is another, taco night is is also one. So, you know, whatever works for your household, but having that night where it's just kind of dedicated, we're just going to eat whatever's in the fridge really can help to use things up. And of course it saves you from having to buy and cook for another meal. One other thing people can do is really learn how to store food properly. And that is, you know, for herbs, for instance, putting them in a glass of water as if they were flowers, can help them last a lot longer. That's a great one because I feel like I do throw out soggy cilantro, soggy parsley. Again, like great aspirations of cooking with lots of herbs. And then I'm like, what a waste of $5. Totally. I think knowing how to revive some foods is interesting and kind of a fun tip. So anything that wilts is really, it just has had some moisture loss. What are some examples of foods that you can rehydrate or revive? Wilted lettuce, wilted carrots. You know, you get carrots get a little bendy. You just drop them in a bowl of ice water for 10 minutes, and that will typically help crisp them back up. I feel like celery and radishes that also works great with because I'm like, I'm you're bringing them back to life with ice water. It's amazing. Yeah. For anything that gets stale, like crackers or chips, you can just toast them for about one minute in a toaster, and it will actually re-crisp them and take some of that staleness away. I also love finding uses for sort of the last bits of stuff in a bag. My husband is famous for dumping the end of the tortilla chip bag with all those like teensy little crumbs. You mean in it. the best part of the tortilla chip bag? <laughs> exactly. And he'll just he'll literally take salsa and put it on those tortilla chip crumbs and eat it with a spoon. It's like his thing. That's awesome. I love the um, end of the bag stuff. We actually use it a lot in baby led weaning for some of the slippery foods. You just say like, you know, if you have the end of a, a Cheerios bag, just pound it up really, really small and fine. And then for the slippery foods that are hard for early eaters to pick up, you can roll it in those foods oftentimes, which are, you know, high iron foods like a fortified cereal, which gives the baby a little bit of traction, but also um, a little bit more iron. And then of course, you're using the very tail end of your food bag. I love that. So Dana, can we go back to freezing? Because I think that's one like, yeah, great recommendation. But like, how do I really freeze my food efficiently so that I can actually use it again in the future? Yeah, well, there are so many foods that can be frozen that people don't realize. And I think that's really important. So for instance, bread, like fresh bread or or loaves of bread, if you slice them up and you put them in the freezer, then you can just take one slice out at a time and pop it in your toaster directly from the freezer and it'll be really fresh. Another, you know, when I go on vacation, I literally just open up my refrigerator and just stick everything in the freezer. So I've tested a lot of these things. Pasta sauce is one. It kills me that like I always have half a jar of pasta sauce. And it turns out you can freeze both pasta and pasta sauce uh, just by throwing them in the freezer. And then you take them out when you're ready to have that meal again. Milk can be frozen. 
Cheese can be frozen. Sometimes it's best to shred it um, and use it kind of for shredded purposes when you defrost it because the texture might change a little bit. And eggs actually, eggs are actually good three to five weeks after their sell by date. But should you miss that or get close to it, you can take them out of their shell, scramble them, not, but don't cook them and put them in the freezer that way. So scrambled egg batter, basically pre-cooked. Yeah. Like raw scrambled eggs. I never knew that. And since you've done the research, can you tell us what you can't freeze? Like I know from firsthand experience, yogurt does not freeze well. Yeah. Yogurt does not freeze well. Beans. I've had mixed success with beans. I know some people. Like legumes, like dried peas and beans, pintos, black beans, or like green beans, snap beans, that sort of stuff. Oh, like uh, black beans and pinto, black beans, lentils, those sorts of beans. The texture seems to change a little bit if you freeze them. Anything can be frozen. The question is, will the texture be the same? So honestly, I think with the, the texture thing with freezing, with some of the other things, a lot of this comes down to mindset, right? And if you kind of just have this mindset that you're going to use everything, you, you know, maybe overlook a texture. Maybe you throw it in a blender and make something else out of it, right? Give it some new life. Maybe you you find ways to use your mashed up cereal to, you know, help with things not being slippery. I think when you have that mind, we all have such specific food habits that it can be hard to give these general tips. And I think if you just have the mindset that you're going to use everything, you figure out what works best in your own situation. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. Besides baby led weaning, what other type of podcasts do you like to listen to? Well, if you're into true crime and you also dig traveling, I want to tell you about a new podcast you are going to love. The new podcast is called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that all take place on vacation. So the show is hosted by a true crime fanatic and her comedy writer husband, and he has a TV producing partner. So Slaycation brings a totally unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, what the heck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong from the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, their two recently engaged lovebirds, whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended up underwater. Every episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that will intrigue you. I think you're going to love the discussion between the longtime married couple and the business partners. They also happen to be an Emmy-nominated TV producer's Every episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that are going to keep your next family vacation from becoming your last. So if you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I love that idea this kind of changing our mindsets about using really all of the things that you do have in your home kitchen, things like soups and casseroles, especially for baby smoothies. You guys were always talking about ways to practice with that open cup with your baby, putting your borderline produce in the blender with some ice. Another one, I know I have a very frugal sister that has six kids as well. And she saw me throw out a pineapple core the other day. And she was like, next time you have a pineapple, you don't throw the core out, you put it in the smoothie. And I was like, oh my gosh, I never knew that you could even do that. And I started using that. Now I'm not even throwing out the pineapple core, which is pretty cool. Yeah, totally. It turns out the greens on strawberries are actually edible, but they're a little bit tough, but you can throw those into a smoothie too. 
and it just makes it so much easier <laughs> to use strawberries in, in a smoothie. So yeah, I mean, and the other thing about, I think specifically mindset around kids and food and not wasting it, it's, it's challenging, right? I mean, stuff's getting thrown on the floor. You want to introduce certain flavors many times for all these healthy foods before they actually eat them. And, you know, one thing we always did was sort of have a backup plan for the food that they didn't touch. And we still, to this day, do this. I mean, we send the kids every day, we send them to school with their veggies and with their fruit. And some days they come back eating and a lot of days they don't. But we'll, I'll literally take their carrot sticks that they didn't touch from lunch and I'll just chop them up and I'll use them in dinner. Or sometimes I'll take that half sandwich that they didn't eat and I'll eat it the next day for lunch. So just kind of thinking like, well, is there a backup plan for this? Can we use it in our family somehow? Even if the child doesn't eat it can be a way to reduce waste. And I feel like a lot of that, it's kind of trial and error. Like you're, you have a baby, so your baby's always eating at home. Then your maybe child will go to daycare or preschool and school age. And you start to learn things like bananas, for example. My kids love bananas at home. And I was like, why aren't you guys eating these bananas that I send to school? Like the second you put a banana in a lunchbox, it becomes brown and soggy and they don't like it. Well, bring it home because I'm definitely going to turn that into banana bread for tomorrow. But also I'm going to change my practice of not sending bananas as the fruit in lunch. I need to send something a little bit more durable to ensure that they actually will eat it. Totally. Yeah. And I think as your kids get older, engaging them in what's for lunch and what they're eating can really help them actually eat it. As long as you give them sort of the right choices that you're okay with, I think when they choose them, they're more likely to. And I feel like as long as you do that the night before school, like the morning of school, I'm always like, oh my gosh, I didn't make lunches yet. And there's no way I can handle you guys helping me. But I do agree with you that the more we incorporate our children into the food preparation practice, even starting from toddlerhood, as soon as they can stand up, if you get a kitchen tower or you can DIY one, pull them up next to your counter and allow them to participate in the food preparation, they're going to be more inclined to eat it. And that in turn is helping to reduce kitchen waste. Totally. I think my, I have really practiced having my kids be part of the cooking process. They love it. It's annoying as hell. I was so glad you said that, Dana, because I was like, I'm going to say it's annoying and people, it's annoying and it is tedious. But at the end of the day, the goal is not to make them eat the food, right? They're ultimately the ones who decide whether or not they eat and how much, and that we can improve their relationships with food and increase the variety of foods alike and accept when we do take those extra couple of minutes and the mess, et cetera, to involve them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So Dana, where can our audience go to learn more about your work and hopefully grab the Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook as well? Sure. Well, you know, the best site out there for people just wanting tips and tricks on how to reduce waste in their homes is called Save the Food. So savethefood.com has tons of tips and tricks and it even has a good portion of the directory from my book posted there for free um, on that site. So you can look up different products and how to store them and how to freeze them and all of that right there on that site. If you want to geek out on food waste a little bit more, you can come to our site at refed.org. That's R-E-F-E-D.org. And that will give you sort of more of the whole food system information on all the reasons that food's going to waste, how much, why, what are some solutions that we're seeing and, you know, sort of the more wonky approach to the issue. So Dana, this episode's going to be airing in January. Lots of families trying to adopt healthier, perhaps more sustainable practices. Any sort of a challenge or resource you could share to kind of get us inspired to put some of these suggestions into practice? Yeah, this is going to sound like a brand promotion and it's really not. But Hellman's has actually got really into trying to help people reduce waste. And they created an app that's called the Fridge Night app. And it ha- it really helps you 
It has a four-week program to help you waste less food in your home and especially find new recipes for ways that you can use things up. So that's one that I really recommend. Um, again, not as a brand promotion, but just because I think they've done a really nice job with the app and they've actually done studies and it has shown that people have reduced their waste significantly for the weeks that they're using it. Well, this has been wonderful, Dana. Thank you so much for your time and all of your tips. I really appreciate this. Absolutely. Great to speak with you. And I hope your listeners got at least one little tidbit of um, a tip out of Well, there's like so many of them. I'm making a list here, but I'm also going to link everything up in the show notes for this episode, which you guys can find at blwpodcast.com. Thank you again, Dana. Of course. Take care. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Dana. She had five amazing tips for us on how to reduce our kitchen waste. I'm going to summarize it real quick, just in case you missed any of them or you're like, oh, I forgot about that one. Number one was use the freezer more. It's like a magic pause button on your food. Number two is to learn what the dates mean, right? That it's not always about safety. A lot of times it's about quality. And a lot of us are throwing foods out because of dates on the packaging that really don't mean anything. Tip number three was to be really careful in the grocery store. We go in there aspirational, check your grocery cart, check yourself. Am I really going to use all this stuff? Uh, Number four was having some night a week where you just use everything up. I loved her idea for stir Fridays and waste less Wednesdays or fridge night. And then number five, learning how to store food properly. She was talking about like putting your herbs in a glass of water and storing things in airtight containers. Oh, actually, she gave us six. I see now. Rehydrate. Bring some of that stuff back to light, right? You can revive or rehydrate things like wilted lettuce or carrots, celery and radishes. Or she talked about how you can toast things like stale crackers or breads or chips and kind of bring them back to life. So if you would like to check out more of the resources that she was talking about, especially her waste-free kitchen handbook, I'm going to link that up on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 298. We're almost at 300, you guys. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you again to our partners at Airwave Media. If you guys like podcasts that feature things like food and science and using your brain, check out Airwave Media and also check us out. The podcast is online at blwpodcast.com. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. I'll see you next time. 